Well, good morning, One Church. What's up? My name is Carlo. I get to be one of the teaching pastors here, and we are continuing our This Is Us series. Shout out to everyone if this is your first time or first time in a long time. We're glad that you are here with us, watching over the video venue or online. We're just glad that you are connecting with us today. We're continuing this series that is really talking about the core values, the principles, the things that make us tick as a church. Last week, we looked at save people, serve people, and I hope that you were able to serve someone this week to kind of be Jesus with skin on to someone in your circle, in our community uh, throughout the last week. Today, we're going to be in John chapter 4 in the New Testament, and uh, we're going to get there in just a few. It'll be on the screen or the Bible app if you're following along that way. I lost my cell phone uh, a while ago. Uh, Not this phone. It's here with me. Uh, But I lost my cell phone years ago at church. I was got in the parking lot, phone fell out of my pocket somehow, some way, and I lost it. And I had no idea that I'd lost this phone until someone came up to me later and said, hey, I think this is yours. Um, and after some, some tears and weeping, uh, we were reunited and it was all good. I was glad that this greatest of Samaritans saw fit to bring me back my phone. It was a sweet reunion. Uh, I have a bad habit of playing with my wedding ring. I take it off and fiddle around with it, and um, sometimes it gets lost. Of course, you know, my wife loves that I do that, um, but I, I play with my ring. In fact, at staff meeting last Monday, uh, we had a conversation for about 15 minutes, and I completely was zoned out because I was carefully looking at the floor to see if I can find where I dropped my ring because I was playing with it in the middle of the meeting. And I was like, oh, dear Lord, uh, we dropped it, and we were in Pastor Justin's office, too, and I didn't want and think about getting down on the floor uh, in that room looking for it. So, you know, I uh, anyway, thankfully, I found it. But we were married about two months when, when Jamie and I were first got married, and I'd already developed that habit of messing with my ring, and I lost it. Uh, and I tore the house apart, you know, just like straight out of the story in the Bible. Tore the house apart. I called Jamie just bawling my eyes out. It's gone. I can't find it. You know, I'm so sorry. Like, I just felt so terrible. Uh, not terrible enough to change my behavior, but that's a different sermon. But at least in that moment, I did feel terrible that I lost uh, my ring. I tore everything apart. Of course, I found it. It fell like in one of the, the dresser drawers or something like that. Um, a couple years back at our church, we sponsored a uh, uh, an awareness walk to help a company, an organization that was in the business of fighting child trafficking. Um, and so we did this big citywide event. We had hundreds of people out there, inflatables. We do this, you know, walk for charity thing, raise money, raise awareness. And we were there early setting up in, in about maybe an hour or so into the event, I noticed that David, my youngest son at the time, he was, I think, maybe like six years old, uh, if that, five or six years old, and we couldn't find him. Uh, had no idea where he was at. I went to Jamie. Hey, where's David? She didn't know. We went to our oldest son, Tony. He didn't care where David was, let alone know where David was. And so we're freaking out. Could you imagine the irony? We're doing a walk to stop child trafficking, and the organizer's son is missing. Like, like what a perfect nightmare of an event. Uh, but save people, serve people. And our little five, six-year-old said he wanted to help. So he went all the way to the finish line by himself. Uh, to go help set up the finish line. Uh, It was doing work, but it was crazy. It was terrifying when we thought we didn't know where he was. It was terrifying when that dread started to creep up of, oh my gosh, what could happen? Where is he at? And of course, you have that overwhelming joy. You know, that joy has probably saved many a child a whooping because mom was just so happy they found him. They forgot about the rage. Um, I I think that's how the story ended for us. You have to ask David how the story ended uh, there. But have you been there? Have you been lost Lost in the woods. Some of y'all might be lost this morning. It's okay. I'll wait for you. But, you know, uh, lost. Have you lost something of great value? Devastated you. Tore everything apart to try to find it. 
whether we believe it or not, it's a true statement that we've all been lost, whether we know it or not. See, the ring, the phone, my son, none of them knew that they were lost, and yet they were. But the good news is that someone was desperately seeking them. Someone saw that phone in its lost state and saw fit to rescue the phone, return it to its owner. I tore the house apart until I found that ring that meant so much to me. Our whole, our friends, community gathered around us as we sought out where in the world did David sneak off to on that day. We were lost and we were found. And that is the exact way that God views us. We have this language in church world where we talk about a seeker-friendly experience. It happened about 20, 25 years ago in church speak. People started creating church services for people who maybe were disconnected from God. And on the surface, that was a great thing, right? Because, you know, if you come from a traditional church, you probably like being able to be in a movie theater with reclining seats and, and different style of music and just this environment that's welcoming, right? Church didn't always look like this. You might not know that if you're not connected, if you've never been. But it didn't always look like this. And so that's a good thing. But the problem with that language is when you look at the scripture, there really is one seeker. It's not us. It's God. He's the one who leaves the 99 to go find the one. He's the one who sweeps the house apart till he finds the one thing he's looking for. He's the father waiting on the road, waiting for his son to come back. He is the great seeker. And the good news for all of us who have said yes to Jesus is he found us. And so because he found us, now we get to share that awesome truth with everyone else. We get to share this truth. We get to help people who are far from God, disconnected from God, come back to him. That's why we believe that found people find people. It's synonymous with being found, is that it's my mission. I get to find people who also need to experience this joy, this peace, this hope that you and I have in Jesus. And so our big idea is that we invest in people outside of the church and we invite them to Jesus. We invest in people outside of church, whether that's someone completely far from God. You might be here in that room and say, I don't even like this Jesus stuff. I'm just here because someone asked me to be here, and that's okay. We want to invest in in you. We want to invest in people who are outside of the church by loving them, by just being a good dude, by being friendly, by doing acts of service. We make that investment, relational investment, and then we invite them to who? To Jesus. And it's a subtle shift, I think, in our mindset that if we realize we're really inviting people to Jesus, it'll change everything that we do. Any coffee drinkers in the house? Yes, no? Some of y'all? Y'all probably aren't the coffee drinkers. That's why you're at the 10 a.m. and not the 845, but it's okay. Jesus loves you. Uh, Coffee drinkers, like them or not, love them or hate them, Starbucks is arguably the most popular coffee brand on the planet. Now, I'm not going to debate you on the quality of their coffee. I'm not going to debate you on is it worth the $6.70 that you paid for that basically chocolate cake with a shot of coffee in it that you like to drink. I'm not going to get into all that, right? But the data is the data, right? Most popular brand on the planet. They, Starbucks operates by this bottom line. They say, we always figured that putting people before products just made good common sense. And so far, it's been working for us. It's one of their core values as a company. We put people before products, and so far, it's been working for us. In fact, a man named Dr. Leonard Sweet, great Christian theologian and scholar, wrote a book called The Gospel According to 
to Starbucks, where he kind of outlines all these comparisons. And it's a great book. Uh, I have one on my shelf. You can't borrow it, but I'll let you sit in my office and read it. Uh, that, I know that wasn't really generous, but God's still working on me, so relax. You, you're welcome to come read it, but you can't borrow it. Um, $9.99 on Kindle, you can get it. It's a great book uh, that compares this company with how we should share our faith. And so a lot of, of this message I really formulated off of some of the thoughts that he had because it's just so good, so rich, and connects to found, found, found people finding people. See, there's a reason this is the most popular brand on the planet. They don't have a gimmick. They don't have a slogan. They don't have a real jingle. You can't tell me the last time you saw one of their commercials. They just don't have to do a lot of that stuff because the product sells itself. The experience speaks for itself. They spend their money getting you to taste the product through the vehicle of their experience. So they get you into the experience taste the product. And that's what we keep coming back over and over and over and over again. And sharing our faith is as simple as that. Getting people connected to Jesus, the main thing, through these experiences that we have. That's what sharing our faith, sharing the good news. What is the good news? You might hear it referred to as the gospel. It's that Jesus found us and he saved us and he's with us and it has nothing to do with us. Did you catch what I said? He found us and he saved us, and he's with us, but it has nothing to do with us. We didn't earn it. We didn't work for it. It's about his grace and his love and his mercy, and that is the good news that we share with people, and we share it through our experience, what he's done for us. We share it through the experience of biblical community. We share it through the experience of the tangible love of Jesus, like we talked about last week. It's not about head knowledge. It's not about, do you have all the right Bible verses? It's not about how long you've known Christ. You could be here today and say yes to Jesus at the end of this service when we pray, and you are fully equipped to go and find someone because you've been found. So questions we wrestle with when we think about this uh, is what if we, like Starbucks, put people before our methods. What if we wrestled with this question? Is the gospel a product to sell or a person to experience? When Jesus is a person to experience and not a gimmick and not a product to sell, it changes everything about how we share people. When you walk into a Starbucks coffee shop, you're walking into an experience. Every one of them is decorated differently. In fact, there's no two Starbucks locations that we know of that are identical in their layout. Even if it's just a subtle change, they mix it up. They change it up. Everything they do is about getting you to experience their coffee. That's it. It's more than a drink to them. They use the language like journey, experience, way of life. You might be thinking like, dude, it's just some some roasted beans cooked in hot water, right? But for those of us who are coffee lovers, it is life and health and strength, right? I know I got one amen in here from that, right? It's, it's a big deal, right? It's powerful. When people are the focus, the coffee sells, sells itself. Could the same thing be said about Jesus? If Jesus is the focus, the experience, everything else, he, he does the work. If we focus on loving people, reaching people, he does the work. I think people reject Jesus because they're being sold the gimmick. They're being sold a product. They're being sold something inauthentic. But when we give people the real Jesus, the real experience, I have found over and over again, people say yes to him. People connect to the life change that those of us in the room who've said yes to Jesus that we experience. So we're going to look at a story in John chapter 4. It's not usually looked at as kind of a sharing Jesus story, but it's all throughout here. He kind of gives us a blueprint. He gives us a model for how we can share truth with people who are far from him 
and the results of what happens when we do this. So we're going to be in John chapter 4. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. It says this, Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. So context, Jesus is early in his ministry. He's preaching. People are coming to know him. People are believing in him. The religious establishment hates that. So Jesus is making a journey from south to north. He's going from the Judean region around Jerusalem. He's going back up north in Israel to Galilee, the region where he did a lot of his ministry. And to get there, he felt compelled. He had to go through Samaria. The Jews and the Samaritans did not like each other. It was like a Crips and Bloods kind of situation. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about, right? It was like, yeah, I got, I got the right people here. Y'all, y'all know what I'm talking about, right? It's, we don't go with those folks. We don't intermingle with them. But Jesus passed through there intentionally. And he gets to this very historic town, a very historic well called Jacob's Well. And you see some familiar names there if you're familiar with the Bible. Jacob, Joseph, these are all patriarchs, founders of the Jewish faith. So this is a big deal well that he's sitting at, a big deal area. Verse 7. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. And the woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift of God, the gift that God has for you, and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. So what do we learn from that section? We learn that environment is everything. Environment is everything. When you walk into a Starbucks, a McDonald's, uh, whatever, you like to go get your coffee, there's usually something you notice first. In Starbucks, they hope you notice the coffee first. They hope that that's what you smell first, the coffee, not the burnt cheese, not the bleach from the bathroom, right? Not the baby changing table, right? They don't want you to notice the loud music. They want you to notice the coffee. So they handcraft these environments. Millions of dollars they pour into these environments. Here's the irony. They have all these beautiful chairs, overstuffed chairs, different height tables, tons of plugs, strong Wi-Fi, unless you're on Madison Street. Their Wi-Fi is not that strong. Sorry, Madison Street. But, you know, they've got good Wi-Fi for you. They want you to stay. Everything is set up so you can be there for a long, long time. And a lot of coffee chains follow that model, by the way. They, they want you to hang out there. Here's the thing. According to research, most customers don't sit in Starbucks and enjoy their coffee. What do they do? They get it to go. They wait in long lines. By the way, if you don't have the Starbucks app, like you're being a poor steward of your time and resources. You need to come talk to me at the next step tables. I can hook you up. Don't wait in line with the normals. Order it and then go there and pick it up, and you can have your awesome coffee experience. People will wait in line five minutes, ten minutes, pay $6 for a cup of coffee you probably could have made for $1.25 at your house. Who cares? The experience is what you want. And so you go through all of that, and all of these chairs, you pass by all of these awesome places to sit and you don't sit there. Here's why you're willing to wait in line, according to their research. It's because we know we could stay if we wanted to. I'm so welcome. I could hang out here all day if I wanted to. And just the idea that I could do that draws people to that experience. They spend a lot of money 
to do that because environment is language. Everything is language. Environment communicates, speaks volumes. And it's not just that the environment communicates. It's knowing how to handcraft that environment to your clientele. Handcraft that environment to the people you're trying to reach. Understanding there's a way to talk to this person that I can't talk to that person. You guys with me? Environment is everything. I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe that Holy Spirit leads us and guides us and gives us the words to say. And I believe the Holy Spirit will give, put people in my life for me to talk to about Jesus. But I also believe the Holy Spirit is not an idiot. Like, I don't believe that God is, I believe that God is more than wise. I believe that God is wisdom. Like, he is wisdom. The Holy Spirit is wisdom. And he gives us wisdom for how to engage people, how to talk to people, how to communicate to people. So we apply that wisdom when we share our faith. We understand the environment, and it could be the difference between someone saying yes to Jesus or someone throwing their white mocha in your face because you said something crazy. Just a little bit of applied wisdom. That's why at One Church, we go out of our way to create environments where people are encouraged and equipped to have intimacy with God and community with insiders and relationship influence with outsiders because environment matters. And Jesus knew environments. He picked this well for a reason. Yes, he was tired, but nothing he does is on accident. Nothing he does isn't without some forethought. He knew where he was at. He knew how to start this conversation with this woman far from God. Now he's Jesus. Couldn't he just called her out and told her all her business right there? Did he not know how to get water? Right? He's God. He walked on water. Let that sink for a little bit. He walked on water. What could she have possibly done to help him with his thirst? So you got to read what he's really doing there. He's engaging her. Hey, could you get me something to drink? <clears throat> She's never going to engage him. Why? He's Jewish. So he engages her. He goes to her, the one he's not supposed to. He breaks those cultural rules. He breaks those societal norms and says, hey, bring, and he, he starts this awesome conversation. He understood his audience and he fit his message to that audience. When Jesus was by the sea, he talks about storms and waves. When he's talking to people out in the fields, he talks about harvests and all this stuff. And sitting there at that well, a very important well, well well-known, religious people understood the significance of that place. He has this conversation. He understood the importance of it. And so when she asked, why are you offering me a drink? he instantly turns the conversation to the important thing. If you only knew the gift of God, the gift that God has for you, you'd know who you were speaking to, and you'd know that I could give you water that would give you life forever. You'd never thirst again. He gets to that awesome message in the right environment. How can you maximize the environment God has put you in to reach people for him? Whether that's school, your unit, your family, environment is everything. Let's keep reading. Verse 11. But sir... You don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? And Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Verse 15, please, sir. The woman said, give me this water that I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Verse 16, Jesus says, go and get your husband. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. 
you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with. You certainly spoke the truth. And that's when the crowd says, oh, he went there, savage. Like that escalated quickly, right? Like zero to 100. Jesus has no chill at all. Like we're just talking about some water, some well, and you got to put my business in the street like that. And Jesus said, yep. That's classic Jesus, speaking the truth in love. Fascinating point about environment being everything is that Jesus dealt differently based on the relationship he had with the person. There's only two categories of people we see in the scripture where Jesus is this relentless, like blunt. Very, very religious people and complete strangers. The only times we see him just get right to the bottom line. Hey, go get your husband, even though you're not married and you've had five, but go get him right? Or to the religious people, you bunch of snakes, you whitewashed tombs, you hypocrites, right? It's the only people he's ever that blunt with. To his friends and family, it's a completely different way that he reaches them. Environment is everything. And so right here, he calls her out. And most of us, if we're real, we wouldn't even be brave enough to do that. We wouldn't be brave enough to speak the truth in love like that. We would beat around the bush. I don't want to offend them. Well, I don't want to hurt their feelings. And Jesus knows what's at stake here, so he just cuts right to the real problem. Because she's not getting it about the water, right? Remember he said, if you knew the gift of God, you'd ask me for water, I'd give you, you'd never thirst again. And she's still thinking water she can drink. But Jesus already knows. The minute he said, hey, get me some water, he already knew what her real need was, which was salvation. Her real need was him. So he cut through all the fluff and just got to what her real need is, but she's not getting it. So he has to go all in and say, listen, you are a hot mess. That's the Carlo version. Don't quote Jesus, quote Carlo. You are a hot mess. And look how she responds to that. Verse 19, sir, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place to worship? while we Samaritans claim it is here on Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worship. So Jesus says, go get your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. He says, you're right. Man, you're living with not your husband. You've been married five times. And she goes, oh, man, you must be a prophet. And the crowd's like, oh, savage, what's going on? There's no crowd, by the way. They're by themselves. It's just in my head. It's how I hear the story. And her response to this blunt truth is, uh, so, yeah, how come you guys say we have to worship over here and worship over there? She completely changes the subject. What does this worship environment have to do with the truth that he just said? What does it have to do with anything? It's like me saying, hey, I would love for you to connect to one church. You've been away for a while. You can't make it on your own. And you say, you know what, Carlo, that's a great point. So how come you guys don't have hymnals? You guys know what a hymnal is? It's the words on the screen in book form for those of you guys who are new to the church thing. They're fascinating little devices. Uh, It's just complete. You guys meet in a movie theater? Well, I thought real Christian churches had a big building that was theirs, and where's your steeple and your stained glass? She completely distracts from from the point. You with me? Complete deflection. An excuse, a classic excuse to not deal with the truth of her situation. Look how Jesus responds, verse 21. He says, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming. When it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship. All we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it is here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking. There's that seeker language. 
The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And then Jesus tells her, I am the Messiah. So environment is everything. We have to keep the main thing the main thing. It's what Jesus does in this story. Keep the main thing the main thing. Resist the urge to fall into the distraction trap. Resist the urge to get distracted by nonsense issues, minor issues. Focus on what matters the most as we're looking for people who are far from God, as we're engaging people that we know need Jesus. That's what he did. The main thing is the main thing. The good news. It's the most important thing. That God is spirit. He's looking for those who worship it in spirit and truth. Meaning, God wants us to worship from within who we really are, lined up with his spirit and with his truth. He wants our worship to line up with the truth of his word. That's really what matters to him the most. Not where we do, not where we worship, but how, our posture. She's trying to hold on to this lifestyle that is not doing her any good. And Jesus is trying to call her away from that lifestyle. Keep the main thing, the main thing. On February 26, 2008, Starbucks did the unthinkable. They closed all of their restaurants, all of their shops for three days. Closed them all. Basically, Starbucks in 1971 by 2008 had grown from one shop to 16,000 shops in over 40 countries. They had Starbucks literally across the street from Starbucks. Massive, expansive growth. They got into the sandwich business, selling all kinds of sandwiches, baked goods, smoothies, music. They dabbled in the restaurant business for a little bit. Um, And their CEO, Howard Schultz, started noticing that the main thing was slipping. Quality of their coffee. The environments were starting to slip. You walk into Starbucks and it started to smell like a burnt sausage, egg, and cheese sandwich instead of like espresso. So they closed. They shut down. And here's why they closed. They said, we're a coffee that brings people together, and we're going to revisit our standards so that we can regain the trust our customers have in us. They got back to basics, the main thing. They realized there's too many distractions. We need to get back and focus on what we want to focus on. That's why people will get in line and pay for that experience because they want to keep the main thing the main thing. I think there's a lot of people hungry for spiritual truth, hungry for a spiritual awakening, and they're resisting God. They're resisting the church. They're resisting you because we're trying to sell them a bag of goods. We're playing into the distractions instead of focusing on the real thing. Authentic Jesus loves me. This I know. With my mess, with my baggage, with my mistakes, He loves me and he's for me. And instead of selling people, not selling people, instead of presenting that truth, so many times we present this other stuff. And I think if we focus on the main thing like Jesus does, it'll only lead to people being drawn to him. So don't get caught up in arguments when you're sharing Jesus. Don't get caught up in all these cultural disagreements and political nonsense and stay off of Facebook, please. Like, you're not going to win someone that way. But when Jesus is the center of the conversation and you're real, you're authentic, you're you, give people Jesus because he found you and found people, find people. Let's get reading and finish this story up. Just then, his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to the woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her or why are you talking to her? And the woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? 
So the people came streaming from the villages to see him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone, the disciples asked each other. And then Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God, who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look around. The fields are ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid a good wage, and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. You know the saying, one plants, another harvests, and it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others have already done the work, and now you will get to gather the harvest. There's environment is everything again. His disciples are knuckleheads. They're not getting it, so he makes it clear to them, I don't need your food. I am being sustained by doing the will of God right now. And what's the will of God? Finding people. In fact, Jesus says, look up. They're everywhere. We didn't even have to do the work. We didn't have to sow. We just need to go and reach them. Go and connect with them. It's that easy. And here's what's awesome in the story. Verse 39. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman said, he told me everything I did. And when they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and what? Believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him for ourselves. Now we know that he indeed is the savior of the world. Environment is everything. The main thing is the main thing. And passion is a powerful thing passion for who Jesus is, what Jesus has done for us, what Jesus is doing for us is a game changer. This woman at this well heard this hard truth from Jesus and she went back passionately and told everyone, you have to come and see this man. You have to come and meet this man. We invest in people outside the church and we invite them to who? Jesus. She went back to her community, to her circle the people she had capital with, and said, come and see. Passion. Passion is a care. We can learn a thing or two about being passionate. There's nothing boring about a spirit-filled life. There's nothing boring about following Jesus. If you've said yes to Jesus and your life is dull, I would love to have a conversation with you. I want to make sure I'm following Jesus, and I want to make sure you're following Jesus, because my life isn't dull, and I, I believe I'm following him. I think it's an awesome adventure when we say yes to Jesus. Is it always easy? No but never dull, never boring. And that's what people are missing. They're missing this joy, this peace, this hope that we have, those of us who have said yes to Jesus. So we have to unleash that on the world. That means we're passionate about Christ. We're not freaks beating people up with the Bible. We talked about this last week. Passion without compassion leads to fanaticism. We don't want to be a bunch of fanatics beating people up, but we want to be passionate. Sharing this truth. People will see your smile, they'll see who you are, they'll see the change that's in you, and that will draw them to Jesus. If you're an introvert in the house, I'm not telling you you have to go become an extroverted person. I'm just saying we should be able to see your life and see Jesus, some reflection of life change. This woman went and told them, you got to come see this man, and I love what happens. Because of her passion, the whole lots of the village ends up getting changed. They said, now we believe not just because you invited us. We believe because we've actually heard from Jesus himself. 
That's the power of passion. That's what it means for found people to find people. You notice this woman at the well didn't take any Bible study classes. She didn't go to seminary first. She just simply went and told what she'd experienced to people who she believed needed that. And who did all the work? Jesus. He does all of the work. So four factors for us in finding people. Some four truths we need to remember. First is this. People are spiritually lost until they receive Jesus. It's a truth. We believe it. We believe it's what the scripture teaches us. Apart from him, there's only death. There's only eternity without him. People are spiritually lost until they receive Jesus. So we have to share Jesus urgently with a sense of purpose. Urgently. This doesn't mean terrorism style evangelism. We're not standing with bullhorns screaming at people. We're not being ugly as we're trying to reach people for Jesus. We're also not living on the other extreme where we never talk about Jesus. We're not just giving, doing good works. We're not making vague mentions of God and spirituality. We know there's power in the name of Jesus, but we want to be urgent about sharing that. Second thing is this. There are a lot of people ready to respond to the gospel. They're ready to respond. They just don't know how. So we have to invite people regularly. We share Jesus regularly. The stats are all over the place on this, but they all lean towards most people will come and connect to a church if you just invite them. You might have to invite them 20 times. Don't invite them 20 times in one week, though. That's not being Jesus. That's being a jerk. But you might have to invite them multiple times. But most people will actually come. They'll say yes if you just reach them. So regularly, we're sharing Jesus with people. Third is this. We're commanded in the Scripture to share Jesus. So we have to share Jesus just obediently. We get to do it. The Bible tells us to do it. In fact, Paul said, do the work of an evangelist. Evangelize just means good news. Share good news. So Paul even said, do the work of one sharing the good news. The biggest reasons we don't walk in this obedience is we're afraid of failure, we're afraid of rejection, and we're afraid of ignorance. But we've already established we don't have to have all the answers, do we? No, because we know the answer, Jesus, right? Pretty simple. And they're not rejecting me. They're rejecting Jesus, So I don't have to fear that as a personal thing. And fear of failure. When I share my story, here's what's awesome. I get it right because it's my story. I can't mess that up. It's my story, my experience. It's a test you're always going to pass. Hey, what just happened to you? As long as you're telling the truth, right, you're going to pass that story. So we want to share Jesus obediently. And then the gospel is the greatest news we could ever tell. The good news is the greatest thing we could ever tell. So we share Jesus confidently because he changed my life. And if he could change me with all of my junk and my mess and my past and, and, and my propensity to want to do my own thing, if he could still save me and use me, I can confidently tell you Jesus will change your life too. I can constantly say, come and see this man who told me everything I did because I know what the result is going to be. I just have to arrange the meeting. That makes sense? I just need to connect people to Jesus. So leading people into a growing relationship with Christ, that's central to our DNA as one church. Everything we do has the ultimate goal of sharing the good news with people who are disconnected from God, disconnected from the church. So how do we live it out practically? Invest in the people you rub shoulders with. All of us have been placed in a circle of influence, so we invest in them. By investing, I mean we spend quality time. It means at work, you're not a jerk. Like, be your boss's dream come true, not your boss's worst nightmare, right? We, we take the time to do the right thing. Soldiers, that means you are the guy doing the right thing in your unit. You're the lady doing the right thing in your unit. Work hard. Let your light shine. 
Do the right thing. Invest in the people who are around you. Serve people when you see that there's a need just because. That's what we do. We rub sh- the people we rub shoulders with, we invest in them. And then we invite those people into community. <laughs> we invite the people we're already investing in into community. That's Sunday morning experience. You know on a Sunday morning experience, they're going to hear the gospel. They're going to hear the truth. They're going to be around this army of believers who love Jesus and who are normal. We're going to get invite cards and invite people to trunk or treat. What a great environment to bring someone who says, man, the church is stuffy and they're full of themselves. Say, you have not met onechurch.tv yet. Come hang out with us at this thing. And they're going to be exposed to, oh, wow, I can say yes to Jesus and be like a normal human. Invite people to Sunday. Invite them to your small group. I love that we have several small groups at One Church that are growing and thriving. And some of those small groups have people who have not yet, not yet connected to our Sunday experience. But guess where they are every week in small group? That's a win to me. Like that's huge because they are meeting Jesus and they are in community. And I love that. And then pray for God to do what only he can do. He's the only one who can save. He's the only one, ultimately, who can change a life. So we pray for God to do what he can do. And we do those things practically. He shows up, he changes lives, and he finds people. Found people, find people. So we invest in those outside the church, and we invite them to Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for saving us and for finding us. I thank you for everyone here, God, that you set this day up for them to be right here, right now, for this message And so I pray for the one here who's far from you. This will be the day they would say yes, that they would say, God, forgive me, help me. I want to follow hard after you. And I know, God, when they do that right now where they are, you save like only you can. When we confess our sin, God, you're faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all wrongdoing. For the believer here who loves you and who lives for you, help us, God. Put people in our heart, on our heart right now that we can share this awesome truth with that Jesus saves that you're with us, God, and you're for us. Help us not to go through another week without inviting one person into this biblical community, one person to an event where we know you are because your people are there. Help us, God, to be who you've called us to be, your church, seeking and saving just like you did. We thank you that you do the saving part. Help us to get busy connecting with those who are far from you. And I thank you for the lives you're going to continue to change, God. Continue to meet the needs of your people in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. All right, thank you so much for being here this morning. One Church, go be the church. Make sure you pick up some invite cards. We'll see you.